Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come to your presence in the name of your son, Jesus, who died for us upon the cross, taking upon himself all of our sins, our shortcomings, our diseases. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're still the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're alive today, and you are in our midst. And you said where two or three of us are gathered together in your name, you are there in the midst of them. So we acknowledge your presence. We worship you. We honor you. We glorify you. I ask you, Father, that you would let your word go forth and find a dwelling place in our hearts so that we may bear much fruit, so that you be glorified in us and through us. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Please be seated. I'm greatly honored to be here. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking, I'm so glad you guys are helping the Grinleys. Uh, Rob and Mary, actually, before they started this ministry, they served on my team in Africa for a year. So they were with us, trained with us, before they went on to Botswana. I haven't really seen them since then. And Botswana is right next door to Zimbabwe where we have our work, but communications are so different. It's, uh, it's, it's very difficult. So I haven't seen them for some time or even talked to them, but sometimes my team has connection with them and they're doing a great work for God. They're doing a fantastic work for God. They're out in the middle of nowhere and they've started a work. So it's good that you guys are supporting them. I, I'm thankful. So anything you do for them is like doing it for me. They're, they're just great people. They're just great people. I want you to know them. Know that they're very pure hearts, very pure-hearted people. Praise God. And there's not many people from New England, you know, you find them in the missions field. Most of them are, most people on the field that I, may, I meet are from other places, but they are from here. I think from, is it from? Yeah, they're, they're from this area, so, you know. So anyway, praise God. Uh, I want to show you a little bit about what we have been doing, and I want to show you some pictures. Now, these are, uh, you know, I, I just came back home two weeks ago, less than two weeks ago, actually. Came back home about 12 days ago, and these pictures are from our last campaign in Africa. So some of the pictures are from two Sundays ago, and others during that week. Uh, I'll tell you when to switch the pictures. Now, this is... There's a man who could not walk without crutches and he's healed and he begins to dance. God healed, I mean, he was really, really crippled. God, God healed him. And the next one, oh. now this is uh, one night we had 10 deaf people and God healed all of them. So we lined them up all on the platform. So there were 10 deaf people, God healed them. So that's uh, that, that service. And the next picture is? This is an uh, altar call. This is actually, I don't know why the pic part of the picture is missing. But anyway, this is altar call one of the nights. And the next picture is uh, this was a, this young man in the, in the jacket. You know, he was, he was actually, he couldn't walk. He was being propped up by two of his friends. They you know, carried him to the front. And the Lord healed him and he got healed. And I told the, his friends to let him go. And he began to run and he was completely healed. So this was... This was him uh, running when God healed him. The next picture is, uh, this is a little boy who was, totally who was totally deaf and God healed him. So this is him. And the next one is, the, now this boy was born deaf and mute, had never heard, never spoken. He began to hear, began to speak for the first time. And those bones, those are, that's on his shirt. They're not his bones. Just <laughs> in case you're wondering, you know, I just wanted to clarify that. Okay, the next picture is, uh, this boy was born totally mute. He could hear, but uh, you do meet people who can hear, but have never spoken a sound in their lives. And, and God healed him, and he began to speak for the first time ever. And in fact, I had a little video with him speaking, but uh, I couldn't find it. I'll, if I can find it, I'll show it to you tonight. It was, it's really fantastic when he speaks. And uh, the next one is uh, this This. Little boy was also born deaf and mute, and uh, he spoke for the first time ever. That lady behind him is his mother. And the next picture is uh, this. This now you see the little girl in the red in the pink jacket. The the bigger girl is her friend. Now the bigger girl was born deaf and mute. So the little girl brought her friend to the meeting, and uh, you know sometimes you see the the faith of these kids. I often see. Sometimes their parents, you know, they don't believe in God. They think all oh, this is nonsense and their kids are suffering. They won't bring them, but their friends will bring them. 
I've seen this several times. So this little girl brought her best friend to the meeting and God began to, uh, you know, God healed the girl. And you see how the little girl is smiling? She was so excited because now she could hear and talk. So that was uh, fantastic. And uh, the brother on the left, he's one of my pastors, my team leader. And the next picture is, uh, this was a man who was blind, completely blind. He can now see. He's doing what I do with my hands. And the next picture is uh, a young girl. Well, she was practically blind. She could just see like up to about six feet away. It was a mist, you know, and after that she could see nothing. And God healed her, uh, got her sight back. So, And the next one is, this is also another night, you know, in the crowd there. People came to hear the gospel. And the next one is this. Uh, now, this is interesting. This girl had uh, these growths all over her body and there was pus coming out and they were bleeding, it was terrible. And uh, while we were praying over the crowd and they instantly dried up. So she came, and that's why she un unbuttoned her shirt to show her she had these dried things there, they were all dried up. I mean, she had them all over her body and so she, you know, they instantly disappeared. And the next picture is, uh, now this, Little girl was born paralyzed. She had never been able to stand or walk her whole life. And here she is. You see, she's on her feet for the first time in her life. So this was a wonderful miracle that took place. I think this happened the first or the second night of this campaign. Praise God. Amen. So, you know, people in Africa, praise God, just like you folks do in New England, you know, so... Let's go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. So we did, we did eight of these crusades this year, plus we got one more. I'm leaving next week. Uh, go back home to Pennsylvania on Tuesday, and then next uh, Sunday I'm in West Virginia, and after that I fly to Indonesia, I'm preaching there, and then I go to Africa, which is our last campaign for this year in Africa. So that will bring a total of nine, nine campaigns this year. And we have seen hundreds of thousands of people come to the Lord. This one we had, I think, maximum crowd, we had 50,000 people in a service, which is not bad for a town of 200,000, you know. So we have that. So now we have our last campaign. And uh, that, that's, that's our last campaign in Africa because then it begins to rain. And, you know, we always work outdoors. And... When it begins to rain, you cannot do outdoor crusades anymore. And then we'll have one more campaign in India, in North India. I've started to go to India again, and I was in India, uh, uh, well, early part of this year, and it was fantastic. So we, I'm going back to India. So we have two more campaigns this year. So it has been a good year for us with uh, many, many crusades, people getting saved, people getting healed. Um, I mean, I was telling one brother yesterday, uh, we have been to all kinds of places. We've been to towns like this. I was in one town that was in southern Zambia, isolated place. It was a, such a small town that when you enter, you know, it's, it's right on the main highway. So when you, you're driving, you enter the town, and you leave the town 45 seconds later. I mean, it's just that, that's how small it is. And... It doesn't, the town doesn't even have a supermarket. It's so small. You've got people sitting on the roadside selling tomatoes and vegetables, and they don't even have a proper supermarket. So it's a very small place. And the field we rented was outside town. It's way outside town. I looked at the field and wondered who would come. But you know, we had more than 40,000 people there. People, I mean, people, I don't know where they came from. They came by bus, they came on trucks. They came on ox carts and people would come in the morning and stay the whole night. And I've never seen so many blind people receive sight as in that campaign. And God did an amazing work, a fantastic work. And the last preacher who was there was me, 19 years ago. I went there 19 years ago and for the past 19 years nobody has been there. So I just went there because they were really wanted me to come back. So, so I went there, and there's a little motel. So, uh, you know, I stayed there. It wasn't anything fancy. It was cheap, but that was the only place to stay. So when I went there, and the guy who was in charge, the, the, the manager, he said, Welcome, Pastor. I got saved in your meeting the last time you, hear, you were here. I was only 12 years old, 
And I got saved in your meeting and I'm following Jesus since then. So I'm grateful you are here. So I thought, well, at least he's happy. Praise God. So it's, it's worth it being here, you know. I don't know who will come to the crusade. But when the crusade started, all these people came. So it's really, it's really fantastic, you know, how people are hungry for the gospel and people respond to the message. And, and you go to rural areas, you go to big cities. And it's really, it's really, really, you know, it's really worth it. Let me just say this. It's really worth it preaching the gospel. Praise God. Praise God. Anyway, uh, where was I? Yeah, we are talking about Luke 11. Uh, Luke 11, chapter uh, 11, verse 1. And it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he seized one of his disciples, said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So Jesus was praying, and obviously the disciples were watching him pray. So they said, uh, Lord Jesus, can you teach us to pray? Because John the Baptist, he teaches his disciples to pray. Can you teach us to pray? So, they, so Jesus began to teach them to pray. So in verse 2, And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we forgive uh, also forgive everyone that is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So he began to teach them. And, you know, we call this prayer the Lord's Prayer. And, uh, I mean, I've been a Christian for 40 years, and this is one of the things I was taught. So I know how to pray the Lord's Prayer by heart, and I believe most of us, we know how to pray the Lord's Prayer by heart, because this is the prayer Jesus taught us. But there's another Another, another element to this prayer. The first thing is, it's, it's not just a prayer to be, to be memorized and recited. But within this prayer, Jesus is also laying down for us the framework of how we should pray. How we should pray. In other words, what he's saying, that when you begin to pray, you first pray by exalting and glorifying the Father. Often, you know, when we pray... Um, most, you know, sad to say, most people don't pray unless they have a need. Right? Most people don't even bother to pray. They think prayer is something you do when you have a need. You have a need, naturally, and you cannot meet the need yourself, or anyone in your immediate vicinity cannot meet the need. So that's when, okay, fine, God will do it. So that's when we begin to pray. But, and, and what happens is that sometimes the need you have, that is such a big and pressing thing in your life, and everything is blown out of proportion. Everything stands and falls with your need. And you don't see the bigger picture. So what happens is that it's, it's a good thing to be able to distance yourself from your need. So you get, you know, you see everything in its right perspective. You see everything the way you should see it. And that's what he's really doing. What Jesus is saying, when you pray, don't just get immersed in your own needs, but begin to glorify the Father. Talk to the Father. Begin to talk to him. And, uh, and he's saying, talk to the Father and tell our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be, the, be thy name. Glorified be your name. We honor your name. We glorify your name. And so that's how you begin to pray. And then he says, your kingdom come, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. So after we glorify God, we begin to talk about his purposes, his will. Rather than our purposes and our will. Talk about the purposes of God. The more we talk about the purposes of God... And the more we distance ourselves from our own needs, and then we begin to see ourselves in our rightful place, in the bigger framework, the bigger picture of things. You with me? So he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. As it is in heaven, so so also here on earth. In other words, God, I want your kingdom to come to this earth. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he said, if you seek my kingdom, if you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything you need will be given to you. In fact, that's the greatest way to have your needs met, is to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. Our needs being met are a byproduct of us 
seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. So he says, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done. So we seek his kingdom. We want his kingdom to come to this earth. And then we want his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, is God's will done in heaven? Heaven is a perfect place. You know, when we talk about heaven, we talk about a perfect place. Why? Because God's will is established there. There's no devil there. Everything is 100% God's will. But here on earth, things are different. Why? Because it's not just God. You got the devil. You got people. You got so many different elements. There's such a mix here. So what God wants us to do, we should pray, Lord, let your will be done. Here on Mother Earth, let heaven be a copy. Uh, sorry, let earth be a copy of heaven. Let earth be a reflection of heaven. And that's really the primary task of the church. Is to bring heaven to this earth. So it's really putting the purposes of God and the purposes of the gospel. Before our own needs. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Here on earth as it is in heaven. Then it comes to our needs. Verse 3. Give us day by day our daily bread. Day by day, give us our daily bread, what we need for our sustenance. God, give us what we need. But then Jesus also said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. In Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added to you. But then he also said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we need God's sustenance, God's provision every day. And we need his word every day. That is like bread for us. Give us this day our daily bread. It's interesting when the Bible talks about what you need to sustain yourself. Now, there's three things I can think of right now. The first thing is, of course, physical bread. We need physical bread to eat. The second thing is the word of God. Because man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The third thing we need for sustenance is when Jesus was at the well. And talking to the Samaritan woman. Remember he asked for food. He asked for bread and the disciples went to get food. And when they came back with the food, they they found that he was talking to the Samaritan woman. And they said, we have bread for you. And Jesus said, my bread is to do the will of him who has sent me. So there's three things we need for sustenance. Number one is physical bread. Number two, we need the word of God. And number three, we need to do the will of the Father. We need to do the will of the Father. We've got to be busy about God's work, about God's agenda here on this earth. These are the three things we need. These are our bread and butter. Or our meat and potatoes. Right? Or your lobsters and clams, as you would say here. You know, whatever. This is what we need. This is our food and our drink. These are the things we live by. Okay. So, he says, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Then we ask for forgiveness of our sins. Why? Well, it's because we sin. That's why. If we didn't sin, we wouldn't have to... Ask for forgiveness of sin. Now, I'm, I'm, and I'm saying this, I'm just adding this. I don't mean to attack anyone, but there's a teaching going on around about grace. And people say, well, a Christian doesn't need to confess any sin because we already have a blanket forgiveness of sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he bore all our sins, past, present, and future. So even our future sins have already been covered by Jesus. So you don't really have to repent. Well, here Jesus tells us to ask God for forgiveness for our sins. And he is the one who took our sins. So why do we have to confess our sins, although we have already been forgiven? Look, there are certain realities the Bible tells us about. The Bible says we are new creations in Christ Jesus. We have been redeemed. We are forgiven. We are God's people. 
But then there's another reality that runs parallel to this, that we live in a fallen world. And we are prone to weaknesses and failures. Why? Well, because although I'm a child of God, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus and all that good stuff, I'm also dragging along with me somebody who I don't want to drag along with me. And that's the old man. Now he was crucified with Christ, but for some reason he's clinging on to me. I wish he wasn't there. That's why the Bible tells us to renew our minds so that we are conformed to the image of Christ. And one day, let me assure you this, there will be a wonderful day, the Bible says, when we will stand before Jesus, we will look just like him. They will, that day, you know, when you will stand before Jesus, we'll look at him and boy, we'll say, wow, I didn't know I looked like Jesus. We will look like Jesus. That'll be the wonderful day. We will be exactly like him. But from where we are today, until that day, we are still under construction. God is still working on us. We are not there as yet. We take it by faith and we acknowledge it and confess it and we thank God for it. Yes, we do that every day. But really, we are not there as yet. So that's why confession of sin is a good way of keeping yourself clean. Amen? It's like taking your clothes to the dry cleaners. You know, you wear them, they get a stain on them, you take them, have it cleaned out. And the same thing you do with your own life. You confess your sin. So he says, Lord, forgive us our sins. That's a part of our daily regimen. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. You know, you know it's very interesting uh, how human beings are. I, I was thinking of it yesterday. How we tend to look ourselves at ourselves through the prism of Grace. And we tend to look at others through the prism of the law. You know, we look at ours, oh, God loves me. Uh, you know, I, I did wrong, but I didn't really mean to. You know, wasn't that bad. I'm not a bad person. I'm, I'm a great guy. I love Jesus, but I messed up a little bit, you know. But others, when others do the same thing, we judge them by the law. So we tend to measure ourselves by grace and we tend to measure others by the law. But what does Jesus say? Ask God, forgive us our sins as we forgive others who sins again, sin against us. And you know when people sin against you, often it's not intentional. Uh, I told this story in the, in the first meeting. I was preaching in a conference. You know, it just illustrates to you how people get, can get offended. The kind of things that people can get offended about. I remember I was, uh, I, I was preaching in a conference in Sweden. And there were hundreds of people. It was a New Year's conference. And what happens is that in Sweden, it's a common, it's a common thing to hold a New Year's conference. It, uh, it goes on for like three, four days, you know. So right on New Year's Eve. Now, that's the traditional thing we do. There's a service which goes over, you know, the time when the bell rings and they ring in the new year. So what happened was that uh, just 20 minutes before the bell would go off, I looked at my watch, it was 20 minutes to midnight. So I said, now let's everybody do something. I'd finished preaching. I said, if there's anybody here in this building, uh, you know, that your relationship with them isn't right, something has happened between the two of you, why don't you walk up to them and just hug them and ask them for forgiveness or if you forgive them, whatever has to be done, just do it. Make it right so that we step into the new, new year with pure hearts, with clean hearts. So people did that. People got up and began to go and there were, some were crying, some were hugging each other. It was great. Then I saw this young lady gets up and starts walking towards me. And I thought, uh-uh, I don't know. This doesn't look good. And I looked at her and I had never seen this woman before. I had no idea who she was and yet she wanted to talk to me. And so she came up. I said, yes, can I help you? She says, uh, you know, I've really been offended at you. Uh, I didn't like you from day one. I said, what have I done? She says, well, it's okay. You've been preaching the word of God. Everything I've done is good, but uh, I just didn't like you. Why? She said, I don't like your accent. <laughs> and I said, ah. 
Well, it's my parents' fault because they chose to give birth to me and bring me up in a country where they talk differently than you do. So I'm stuck with this. I'm sorry I can't sound like you. Even if I tried to, I, I am the way I am. But I really ask your forgiveness uh, for talking this way, and I wish I could change it and speak in a way that would be pleasing to you, but I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do about it, so you have to endure me for one more day. Uh, and I forgive you for being offended at me. And we can't let it go. And then I thought later on, you know, people get offended at the craziest things. And, 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 and there's no point in holding on to those things, but just, uh, just say, Lord, forgive me as I forgive those who, who, who I have offended. Because believe me, you do offend people. You know, even, even if you think you don't, you know, you may walk on eggshells around people. I bet there is somebody out there who is upset at you for something. So just let them go and forgive them and just release them. And uh, sometimes even if it's not your fault, you know, it really helps. Just say that, listen, I'm sorry if I hurt you. I don't want it to be that way between you. And some people say, why should I say I'm sorry? Just be humble about it. it does, you know, it doesn't cost you anything to say I'm wrong, even if you are right. You understand? You don't always have to be Mr. Right. Now, my wife thinks I'm Mr. Right, but, but I mean, but, you know. You don't always have to be right. It's okay to be wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's okay. And it's, in fact, it's the stronger person who says, I'm sorry. Even when he knows it's the other person's fault. Because you just don't want to be that thing to be there between you. Just learn to release people. So that's what he's talking about. Ask God for forgiveness as we forgive others. Then it says, uh, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, temptation and evil are all around us. When people sin, it is because they yield to temptation. And don't ever say, oh, how could he do that? That would never happen to me. It can happen to you. It is only the grace of God that enables us to stand. We should be thankful that Jesus has enabled us to stand. And you know what? One thing, shall I be very candid with you? All of us have done things we are ashamed of. And the only thing is that nobody else knows but you. The difference between you and those other people is that they have been caught, but you haven't been caught. So just thank God. Amen? So deliver us from temptation. Now, and then, you know, another one of the gospels says, For thine is the kingdom and the glory. Kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever again. So you begin your prayer by praising God and glorifying the Father. You end your prayer by glorifying God. So you begin by, you preface your prayer with uh, giving glory to God and, you know, talking about His purposes, His kingdom. Then you talk about your needs and then you finish by giving glory to God. And, and, and many people think that's the end of it. But if you read the rest of it, the verses after that, Jesus continues to talk about prayer. And we must remember that, because if you look at the verses immediately following, and that's what I want to go into, because without reading the verses after it, our knowledge of prayer, our understanding of prayer is incomplete. Look at what he says. And he said unto them, verse 5, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine and his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. So Jesus, he continues on about prayer. And now he launches into this, like a parable. And he says, now which one of you, it's midnight, 
and you're in bed, your family's in bed, everybody's sleeping and there's a knock on your door and you get up and say, who is it? And the voice says, is Joe your next door neighbor? Yes, Joe, what do you want? Well, I have some guests. They were just passing through town and they just stopped by and they're hungry and I have nothing in my house to feed them. Could you lend me some bread? And then you will say to them, but Joe, it's past midnight. I'm sleeping. My children are with me in bed. We are all sleeping. Come back in the morning and I will give you whatever you need. But Joe, he's not reasonable at all. He doesn't listen. He keeps on knocking at your door and he won't take no for an answer. He keeps on knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. He'll just, he goes on and on until you say, okay, fine, fine, fine. Okay, I'm getting up. I'll give you whatever you want. Then he says that you will get up out of bed and give him what he wants, not because he is your friend, but because of his persistence and his unwilling to listen to you, you will give him whatever he wants. And then he says, therefore I say unto you, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you, because everyone who asks receives. He that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. Now the interesting thing is the word for ask, seek, and find. In the Greek, these words imply not asking once or twice, not knocking once or twice, but it talks about incessant, continual asking, continual knocking, and continual seeking. So what Jesus is saying, he says, Therefore I say unto you, ask and 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 ask, and ask and ask and ask and ask and ask and you shall receive and you seek and seek and seek and seek and seek and seek and keep on seeking 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 and you shall find it and you knock and keep on knocking at the door and knock and knock and knock and knock and knock and it shall be open to you because everybody who asks and asks and asks and asks and asks and keep on asking he shall receive and every Everybody who seeks and seeks and seeks and seeks and seeks shall find. And everybody who knocks on the door and keeps on knocking and keeps on knocking and keeps on knocking, refusing to take no for an answer, to him the door shall be opened. So there's another side to prayer. <coughs> it's not just prayer and doing the prayer thing, okay, I have prayed. But it's that persistence. And not, you know, absolutely refusing to take no for an answer. That's what he's talking about. I have sometimes, you know, people come to me. Pastor, can you help me? Yes, how can I help you? Well, I have prayed for this thing and it didn't happen. And I say, why are you talking to me? You're talking to the wrong guy. You should be on your knees at home still talking to him. Until you get it. How long have you asked him? Well, a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks. And after a couple of weeks, you stop asking the one who can give it to you, and you come to me. I'm the wrong guy. You should be back on your knees and asking him, and asking him, and asking him, and talking to him, and seeking, and seeking, and seeking, and knocking, and knocking, and knocking, until you get it. That's what the Bible says. Amen. Now, let's go to another story. Okay, let's go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So Jesus is telling them a parable. Now let me tell you what a parable is. A parable is a story of an event that didn't really take place. Okay? Let me explain that to you again. In the Middle East, when you want to make a point... You do it three ways. One way, you tell them a story of something that actually happened to you or one, somebody in the family or somebody from history. 
you take a story, an event that actually took place. That's a story. Now, a parable on the other hand, it's a story and some of the points in the story may be exaggerated, but it's a make-believe story. It's constructed like a real event, but it's actually a story, right? And, and you might look at a parable and pick on one point, but that's not the thing. It's not because it's not a true event. The whole point of the whole story is to illustrate a point, right? As you see in the story. Then the third way of illustrating is called a, a fable. A fable has certain, may have certain mythological elements in it, or there may be animals involved who are talking to each other, you know, like the story of the hare and the tortoise, you know, remember that? Now, that was a fable. There was a man called Aesop, Aesop's fables, you know, he wrote a lot of fables. So you got stories, you got parables, and you have fables. Now, Jesus was, was uh, good at using parables, making his point. He would tell these stories. And so, he is telling them this parable, this story, um, and he says that, and the point, whole point was this, that men should always pray and not tire of praying. That's his whole point. He, 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 he told them this parable with the intent that they should understand that they should pray and never be tired or weary of praying. That's the whole point. Okay, so this is his parable saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she cometh to him, saying, avenge me of my adversary. So there were two people in this parable, and they were opposites. One was a judge, and this judge was this, was this very high and mighty kind of fellow. Uh, he was full of himself, he was very arrogant, he was drunk with power. He didn't fear God, he didn't care for what any man thought, he did as he pleased, Right? He was, he was beyond accountability. He just did what he wanted to do. And so there was this judge. And then there was this widow. Now when you talk about a widow, you talk about an old lady who has nobody to support her. She's totally vulnerable. She's defenseless. She doesn't have a husband. She, does, she doesn't have a son. She doesn't have anybody to defend her. So here you have the strongest and you have the weakest, right? You have this judge and you have this, this widow. And so this widow had a problem and somebody had done something to her. So she came to the judge for help. And the judge, you know, he, he was so arrogant. He, he didn't care. So he he just took one look at her and he decided that he didn't want to help her. You know, some people are like that. They take one look at you, they don't like the way you part your hair and they don't like you. They don't like the way you talk, they don't like the way you dress. There's something about you that turns them off and, and there's nothing you can do about it. So he didn't like this lady. So, so what happened... Uh, she came to him saying, avenge me of my adversary, and verse 4, and he would not for a while, but afterward he said within him, himself, though I fear not God, not, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she wear me. So, what happened was that this woman went to the judge for help, and the judge just ignored her, and you know, he told her basically to get lost, I'm not going to help you, but this woman, she refused to be offended. So you can imagine this judge, you know, she comes to his chambers and, and uh, she says, uh, Your Honor, you've got to help me. And he takes one look at her. He says, I'm not going to help you. Just get out. But I've got a problem. Tells his assistant, take her out. So what does she do? She stands outside his office. So every time he looks out the window, he sees her standing there. Then he goes home. Wakes up in the morning, goes to the kitchen to get some breakfast, looks out the window, guess who's standing there? It's this woman. He goes to the courts again, she follows him. Everywhere he goes, she follows him around. Weekend, he goes to, you know, the mall, she's walking behind him. Every morning, at breakfast time, looks out the window, she's standing there. Dinner time, looks out the window, she's standing there. Now, soon... She begins to appear in his dreams. His dreams turn into nightmares. So wherever he goes, now he sees this woman. So then he thinks. He says, you know what? I don't fear God. I don't fear man. But this woman is driving me nuts. 
So I will give her what she wants because she is wearing me out. So he gives her what she wanted. Now, look at what the Lord says. Look at the next verse. Okay? And in verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. What does he say? He says, I will give this woman what she wants because she's so persistent. Hear what this judge says. And then then Jesus says, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Shall he find faith on the earth? So, this is the question. When Jesus returns, shall he find this kind of faith on the earth as this woman had? The kind of faith that takes a hold of the promises of God and doesn't let go. You know, when we we talk about the return of Jesus, he's coming back for a church that is without stain or without blemish. That's one thing we talk about, and that is true. Another thing we talk about, the return of Christ, is when Christ comes back. Do you have oil in your lamps? Or are you like the other five who didn't have oil in their lamps? But the third thing, when Jesus comes, shall he find this kind of faith? This powerful faith that doesn't know how to give up. That's the question he's asking. Shall he find faith upon this earth? Shall he find a church that is full of faith? You know, somebody said to me, you know, I've known you since you went to Ramah 32 years ago and you're still preaching faith. Of course I'm preaching faith. Yeah, but that faith stuff has passed away. Faith has not passed away. Faith is not a thing that the just shall live by faith. It's a way of life. We live by faith. And not only is faith, I mean the kind of faith we have been talking about so far is, you know, we talk about 30 second faith. Five minute faith. Five day faith. But here we are talking about the faith that will not go away. The kind of faith that people, you see, when you identify something, That Jesus has purchased it for you through his blood. If it's in the book. If the Bible says that Jesus has purchased it for you with his blood. And if the word of God says it is yours. Then. Then. You should hold on to it. And you should grab hold of it. And not let go. Doesn't matter how long it takes. And that's what he's talking about. When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Let me give you another story. Last illustration. It's in Matthew chapter 15, if you're with me. Matthew chapter 15. Now, this is a good one. In verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed unto the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Now, this is in Lebanon. Tyre and Sidon are two port towns in Lebanon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. So this woman comes after Jesus, shouting, Jesus, help me, my daughter is demon-possessed. And what does Jesus do? Verse 23. But he answered her not a word. He basically ignores her. He ignores the woman and she's walking right behind him. Shouting, help my daughter. Then his disciples came and besought him. They begged him saying, Lord, please send this woman away because she cries after us. Well, what she did then when Jesus ignored him, she began to walk behind them and shouting. Help my daughter, Jesus, help my daughter. So finally the disciples said, Lord, you must do something about this woman. She's driving us nuts. I mean, uh, you, you've been ignoring her, but please, 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 please send her away. I mean, we, we can't stand her screaming anymore. Just, just please tell her to go. So Jesus, for their sake, he turns around to her 
And he gives her a good theological reason why he would not set her daughter free. And this is what he says. He says, you know what? I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What does this woman do? Most people I know would be offended the first time. You know, I went to him. He turned his back to me. didn't even talk to me. Who does he think he is? Huh? They say, he's a, they say that he's a friend of sinners and he heals the sick and my daughter is demon possessed. And I went to him and I was right there on his face shouting, please help me, oh son of David. Because I once heard of a blind man who said, son of David. I thought that would, you know, push the right buttons. I called him son of David and he just ignored me and walked on. I'm not going back to him, but she refused to be offended. The Bible says that those who don't get easily offended have great peace. Right? So she didn't get offended. So finally the disciples said, Lord, please, you know. And then Jesus says to her, he says, you know what? You see, I'm just sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So, and you know, you're not one of them. You're not one of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So sorry. Now what does she do? She, again, one more time, she refused to get offended. And so she says, her response is, this is amazing. She worshipped him. Can you imagine? She falls at her feet and worshipped him. Worshipped him and said, Lord... Help me. And what does Jesus do? His third response. The first response was no response at all. Second response was a theological response. Why he didn't want to deliver the daughter. Third response. You could say he insulted her. Because it says, then Jesus answered and said. No, he says. But he answered and said. It is not meet to take the children's bread. And to cast it to dogs. Now, you know, to call somebody a dog in the United States is a compliment. You know, I've, I don't have many African-American friends, but I do have a couple. Now, when I meet my white friends, they say, hello, brother. But my black brothers, they'll grab me. How you doing, dog? And I know it's a compliment, you know. You call someone dog, especially it's like D-A-W-G, you know, not D-O-G. That means they really like you, you know. How you doing, dog? And, and, you know, I grew up in the Middle East where you call somebody a dog, that's, ooh, my goodness. That's, 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 that's fighting language, you know. You don't, you, you call someone dog, they'll pull their gun out. You know, that's, that's how I grew up. And so, so... I remember I was new in America and a pastor, I was preaching in his church, introduced me as a top dog evangelist or something. I was very offended. When he came off the platform, I said, brother, you call me a dog? He said, it's a compliment. I said, okay. <laughs> this is America, you know. But now, in the Middle East, amongst the Arab and among the Jews, you don't call someone dog. You, you just know. If you ever go there, don't call someone, hi, dog, you know, especially if you're black, you know. Hey, dog, you know, Abdullah, dog, you don't do that, please. It's an insult. So, now, the Jews, because, see, because, I tell you why, because dogs are unclean animals, you know. Now, when, when I grew up, uh, I know people who had dogs, but when people keep dogs, they're mainly as watchdogs to keep thieves away. They keep them chained in the back of the house. Yeah, and then they release them at night. And when you hear barking from someone's house, you don't want to go there. Because you can come out minus your leg, you know. I mean, they, they don't keep like little, you don't say, oh, this is, a, this is a, what do you call it, Labrador. He's so friendly. You don't want that kind of dog. You want a pit bull, you know. He looks at you. And you know, that kind of thing. People keep bad dogs, you know to keep thieves away, to keep strangers away. 
So, but, but even those who keep dogs, don't pet them, don't hug them, you know, have the picture selfie with my dog, you know. They don't do that. Americans do that. We don't do that because dogs are unclean. Now, <laughs> the Jews, the Jews, when, now they wouldn't call a Gentile on their face, hi doggy, you know, they wouldn't do that. But amongst themselves, they would refer to Gentiles as dogs. That's what they would do, you know. They would say, oh, he's a dog. Or if a, if, you know, if a, if, if a guy marries a Gentile girl, oh, he married a dog, you know, that kind of thing. So you, you don't, you know. So, so Jesus, he, you know, first, first he ignores her. Secondly, he gives her a theological reason why he won't heal or deliver her daughter. Now he says, he says, you know, when the children are eating bread at the table, and the children, meaning the Jews, I can't take their sandwich and give it to the dogs. That's the children's bread. Right? Meaning, you are unclean. You are a dog. The Jews are the children. I can't take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. No. This woman, by now, she had every reason to be angry and offended at Jesus. But the question is, why was Jesus doing this to her? Because I don't know. But all I understand is sometimes, sometimes God wants to see how desperately you really want something. God wants to see how badly you really want something. You know, I, I have this story I remember from Africa. Do you have some time, Pastor? Can I go five more minutes? Okay. I was, I'll never forget, I was doing a crusade in Mutare in Africa. It was six nights. We went to the stadium. I mean, the stadium is full and all these people. And the first night, uh, second, second night, I began to notice this woman in the front. She had a... A little boy on her back, about 10 years old, and the boy was born paralyzed. He had never walked. So, she, African women carry their children on their backs. Uh, doesn't matter what age they are, you know, they just carry them on their backs, wrapped in a blanket. So, she had this boy in the back, and then when I would pray for the sick, I would, I would pray the mass prayer for everybody, and then I would say, okay, if there's anything you couldn't do before, do it now. If you had crutches, leave your crutch, you know, whatever. And so, she would take the boy and put him try to stand him up on the ground and his legs would just crumple under him and then she'd pick him up, put him on her back. So she did this the second night, did it the third night. So third night I asked the pastors, who is this woman? So they checked and they found out that she lived in a, in a village about 10 kilometers away. And she would walk all the way, 10 kilometers, carrying this, this uh, little boy and, uh, and she would come at three, four in the afternoon, so she could be in the front before everybody else came, come to the stadium, she would sit there alone on the grass, and, and then, you know, so she had a good place in the front, she would sit right on the grass in the front of the crowd, because people there stand, on, stand and, you know, we don't have chairs, so, and, and, and then the boy was not healed, and she would walk those 10 kilometers back uh, through the dark, which is dangerous, and she'd be there again the next day. So the fourth day, I noticed, the fifth day, then by the, by the time it was the fifth day, my heart really went on to this woman. Because I know people, sometimes they come for one meeting, two meetings, nothing happened, they don't come back again. But she was back every night. So the sixth day was a Sunday, and I fasted the whole Sunday. I fasted and prayed the whole Sunday just for this little boy. I said, Lord, if you don't heal anybody else, I want this kid to be healed. Because look at the mother, look at her heart. And so Sunday night, sure enough, she was there. And uh, I preached and you know, did the altar call and all that. And then came the moment I dreaded, you know, I prayed for the sick. Told everybody, do something you couldn't do. And so she picks up the little boy and tries to stand him up. And his legs crumple and he fell down on the ground. She picked him up again. And this was the last night, the last meeting. So I finished praying for the sick. I pray for everybody else. Finished praying for the sick. And people came up and gave their testimonies. And by that time, I feel 
I mean, I, I'm totally crushed because that's all I wanted to see. And I just stood in the corner and our musicians, our worship leader, he began to sing and the musicians began to pray, play and the people began to dance. Like you saw, you know, this is, this, is, this is what happens in our meetings every night. So people began to dance and I was so, I mean, my soul was so downcast. I was so unhappy. And suddenly I looked over the crowd and I see, I see the woman dancing and the little boy dancing next to him, to his mother. And then... Then I suddenly realized, he said, no, you see, God, God is always true to his word. But sometimes we don't understand why, you know, I mean, I couldn't give you really, I couldn't explain to you what was happening those six days. I don't know why. I, I, I don't have the answer to those things, except I do know what the Bible says, that God is good and that he's faithful. That, that's one thing. Now, the other thing you've got to understand that, you know, when, when we, we as people, we look at our needs, you know, we look at our financial need, we have a pressing financial need, or we need healing. We look at these two things, and we focus on those, and we, we pray, and we want those things to happen. But you know, God is looking at the bigger picture of your life. And, and everything is intertwined, it's interwoven with other things. And uh, to understand that, we have a little window into the scripture, 3 John 2. It says, beloved I, beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. So God says, I want you to prosper, I want you to be in good health, but it should be in line with the prosperity of your soul. So God is looking at the bigger picture. All you want is this, this sickness should go away and that your bills should be paid. But God is looking at the bigger picture. He's looking at the picture of your soul. And then you look at your soul. It's intertwined with so many other things. It is, uh, uh, firstly, it has to do with how much of the word of God is in there. Secondly, how are your relationships? How is your, you know, how are you working in the forgiveness area? You know, there's so many. Every one of us has a different background and has a different journey. And, 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 and when you talk about the soul of man, that is the heart and the mind of man. There's so many things in there. So many kinks that need to be straightened out. There's so many things we don't understand. So many things that have to be renewed. And all these things play together. Some, life, some people, their soul life, as I call it, is more complex than others. Depends upon how you grew up, where you grew up, how you were brought up. All these things working together. And God says, as your soul prospers, I want you to prosper financially, and I want you to be in good health. But we don't see that. We just see, I want to be healed from this sickness. Or I want this financial bill to be paid. And I will give an offering, so a seed, so I'll be blessed. Or I'll get so and so to lay hands on me and I'll be healed. We just see those two things. Because our way of looking at things is so simplistic. But God is doing a greater work in us. God's work, what he wants to do with us, is not just to put more money in your pocket or to make you feel better. He wants to conform us to the image of his son Jesus. He wants to make us his, like his son Jesus. That is his primary thing in our lives. And this is about healing and prosperity is a part of that bigger picture. And that's what he's trying to do. But sometimes when things don't happen according to our timetable, that's when we stop and ask, well, I prayed and this didn't happen. That guy on the TV said, if I send him a $500 offering, I'll have a miracle. I send him my $500. Well, I have a word for you. A fool and his money are soon parted. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, you've got to understand. God is doing a great work in your life. Thank God for that. Thank God that you're here this morning. God is doing such a fantastic thing in your life. So that's why sometimes we don't understand things. So when we don't understand things, you know what you do? You can do two things. Just speak the word of God and thank him and give him glory. 
and praise Him. And so, Father, I thank you. I don't understand all things, but I know that my life is in your hand. And everything is going to be good. You're working in me. Thank you, Jesus. And he works in your life day by day. Soon all these things, your desires, they come to pass. Amen? Amen. But it always happens God's way, not your way. Have you noticed that things, always good things happen, but they never happen the way you thought they would happen? Have you ever thought of that? Sometimes, you know, there's a couple of guys, they said, Brother Christopher, if you ever need money for a crusade, you just tell me. And uh, you just let me know. I wish I had more guys who said that. And they said, if I have the money, I'll give it to you. So we had a pressing need. I, had, I needed $25,000 for an African crusade. And I was on the, word, on, on the verge of calling these two guys. And the Lord said, don't call them. Yeah, but they said, no, doesn't matter what they said. Don't call them. So I didn't call them. So I was on the verge of canceling the crusade, which I've never done before. Then I get an email from Singapore from a guy whose name I've never heard, a young, you know, a young guy from the way he wrote. Dear Brother Christopher, uh, the Lord told me you need money for a crusade, and I'm praying for you. How much do you need for a crusade? So I thought, you know, he's praying for me. So I said, well, um, we need... To, we, we need money for a crusade. and uh, So he said, could you please call me, Pastor? So I called him. I said, what is it, brother? He said, well, I'm praying for you that the Lord would meet your need. How much do you need for the crusade? Uh, I said, well, I'm believing God for $25,000. I, I, I knew the guy didn't have money, you know. I mean, he was a young kid, you know. So then he wrote back. He sent me an email. He says, uh, I think you need more than $25,000. $25, I've been praying and the Lord told me, you need more. I said, well, if I have $27,000, that'll take care of the air tickets. And then he says, that is the figure the Lord gave me. He says, I'm going to send you the check. I called him. I said, what? <laughs> he says, that's what the Lord told me, $27,000. So when you said twenty-five, I knew it wasn't wrong. But it was wrong. But when you said 27000 I knew I was right. So I said, where are you getting the money? He said, well, brother, I work in a bank and they gave me my annual bonus and God told me to give it to you. You know. And I was all the time expecting that it would be one of these two very wealthy American businessmen who would meet that need. And God told me, don't even tell them. And he, there's a young guy working in a bank in Singapore who I never met before. He used to go to my meetings 10 years ago. And God told him to contact me and somehow he found out where I was. And sent me the money. So God is doing something. Well, the funny side to the story is I was so excited. I called one of these two businessmen. And he got mad at me. Why didn't you tell me? I said, well, brother. He says, no, I told you. If you have a need, you should have told me. I'm the one who wants to be blessed. I said, <laughs> I said, Chad, next time you want to be blessed, I'll be sure to tell you. I said, you betcha I'm going to call you. So, you know. But, but what I'm saying is that, you know, God does great things in our life. And often they come from unexpected places. He knows the bigger picture. Are you with me? So anyway, so Jesus says to her, He says, I can't take the children's bread and feed it to the dogs. This woman, instead of being offended that she was being called a dog, you know what she did? She decided to stand on her rights as a dog. Just imagine. She turned, you know, when life gives you lemon, make lemonade. That's what she did. She said, okay, Jesus, you say I'm a dog, fine. 
So I want that which belongs to the dogs. He says, when the children are sitting at the dinner table, eating their sandwiches, and you know very well as I know how messy kids are when they eat, and all those breadcrumbs from the sandwiches that fall on the ground, those breadcrumbs, you don't pick them up and feed them back to the children. Those breadcrumbs belong to the dogs. And if I am a dog, I want those breadcrumbs because there is healing power in those breadcrumbs. You know what Jesus said to her? (laughs) Verse 28. Jesus answered, said to her, I mean, she really got him at that one. You, You never got Jesus, you know, but she got him. He said, oh woman, great is your faith. Be it unto you even as you will. Can you imagine Jesus saying that? He went to his own hometown and all those people knew the scriptures backwards and forwards, knew the Torah, knew the laws of Moses and he was amazed at their unbelief. And here's a woman who was not even an Israelite, didn't know the scriptures. And he said, woman, your faith is amazing. Be it unto you as you will. You see, She refused to be offended. She knew what she wanted. Do you know what you want from God? That's the first thing. Second thing, are you willing to let God do what he wants to do in your life? To conform you to the life of his son. To make you more like Jesus. Are you willing to let him do it? Because your prosperity, your success, your happiness, your well-being in this life depends upon how willing you are to let God do what he wants in your life. In his greatest moment of trial, even Jesus said, Father, let not mine, but your will be done. Hallelujah. You may not understand everything. I don't understand everything. But there are some things I can do. I cannot understand. But I can surrender. I can always do that. I can put my life in his hand. And say, Jesus, be it unto me even as you will. Hallelujah.